Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio. 9.20 a.m. on a Tuesday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila Embajador. And we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in a new friend of the show, you like Brazilian steakhouses? I know I do. Uh, and here in Las Vegas, uh, we've got one of the best in Via Brazil Steakhouse. Uh, and they are throwing a Brazilian carnival on Friday uh, over at their location. We're going to get all the details. And we're going to talk to their owner, Anna Gomez, uh, Gomes, who's uh, been kind enough to join us uh, on the show today. Anna, thank you very much for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing today? Oh, very, very good. Thank you so much for having us. You got it. Absolutely. Um, so tell me about Via Brazil uh, Steakhouse. How long have you guys been in Las Vegas? Um, and uh, when did you guys land here? And how are things going? So, yes, so we are Oli Brazilian Steakhouse. We have 19 meats that we bring to your table. We have a salad appetizer bar and side dishes. We have the most side dishes that any of the Brazilian steakhouses has. And the most meats. We have 19 meats. Ribeye, filet mignon, shrimp, salmon, beef ribs, pork ribs, chicken, turkey, sausage. Uh, so many, so many to choose from. So just so you know, yes, um, we are so proud to be in Las Vegas since 2008 over here in Las Vegas. But in New York, we've been over there since 1970, 1979. So we, we've been over there for over 44 years and Las Vegas 14 years. All right, so when we talk about Brazilian steak and the whole concept of a Brazilian steakhouse, uh, what separates it from just a normal uh, steakhouse? So the normal steakhouse, you just go and order food from a la carte menu. Here we have 19 meats that we're going to keep bringing to you to your table. Every time you turn your dish to green, we're going to bring you the meats. <laughs> Every time you are on red, that means you are on a little break, okay? That's the way it works. It's like a parade, parade of uh, meats. It's a churrascaria. It's called churrascaria because it's an all-you-can-eat steakhouse, Brazilian steakhouse. And the way it works is um, you're going to sit down at the table. You can go to the salad appetizer bar. With, uh, there is 40 hot and cold appetizers, like pasta, seafood, risotto, lobster bisque, many different salads to choose from, many different appetizers, hot and cold. And then, of course, when you come back from a salad appetizer bar, we have 19 different varieties of meats that bring to your table, all you can eat. Every time you turn your dish to green, we bring you all the meats. And, of course, if you go to red, red, that means you are on a little break, okay? Just got to call a little bit of a timeout and take a little bit of a breather before more meat comes. I got gotcha. you. Uh, I got gotcha. you. Um, yeah. And because I know uh, a lot of our listeners are going to want to check you guys out, probably right after this interview, because I'm already getting hungry. I'm looking at my producer, Devon Cotton. He's already, uh, I think, Googling where you guys are so he can stop by. Uh, where are you guys? Where are you guys located exactly? So we are located at 1225 South Fort Apache Road in Las Vegas. Uh, Fort Apache in Charleston, that's our cross street, is right near Summerlin area in Las Vegas. I love it over uh, in that part of town, and you're actually just kind of right around our corner from, from us where we uh, sit right now. So uh, that's a nice. great thing, a great area uh, out there. I know you guys are, are, are uh, working with uh, Angels of Las, uh, of Las Vegas as well. Talk to us about that, what that is all about. So, yes, the Angels of Las Vegas, actually, is right here. Aini, she's right here. She's a producer. She's a CEO of the company. And maybe she can give you a little more information because this is the only charity that we are actually working with. We believe in them 100% what they do 
for cancer patients, they are very much different than other charities. They give uh, weeks for customers, they, they for any patients, for customers. So let me give you her information right now. Okay, absolutely. Hi, how are you doing today? Good. Uh, if you could just explain really quickly what Angels of Las Vegas is all about. We're excited to hear about it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yep, absolutely. What so exactly? Angels of Las yeah, Vegas has been around for um, 11 years. We are located in Sahara and um, Buffalo, 7836 West Sahara Avenue. We uh, help children and adults going through cancer, life-changing illnesses. We do educational workshop. We do. We have our food pantry open from every Wednesday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. So we have a food pantry for them to come in. Anyone going through any type of cancer, life-changing illnesses, they can ha- come and have anything that they need in there. We partner with Three Square. Uh, we also have art and music therapy room for the children for them to come in weekly to kind of get their mind off of you know what they're going through Absolutely. in the cancer journey. Uh, we're the only organization do human hair wigs. We actually take the picture, what they look like before they lost the hair, through uh, chemotherapy. So we try to give them the same type of look they have, um, you know, by just creating the wig, the color. So um, that's what we've been doing in the community. We have weekly yoga classes, and we have self-care and support group. Which we teach them how to just be in a wellness journey. We are so grateful for Via Brazil has been supporting us over 10 years. Believe it or not, we had we started our toy drive in Via Brazil and ten years ago and we started our Night of Hope in Via Brazil and everything they do they always support and we're grateful for Anna and her team and for Via Brazil. So uh, we're grateful to be here. We're gonna be here at the day of uh the carnival. We have tables, we're gonna show you the weeks we give for the cancer patients and everything. Awesome. Uh, okay, Anna, if you could just tell us, and I can't wait for the uh, Brazilian Carnival Festival, what's it all about and what can uh, you know uh, uh, guests expect uh, on Friday night? So, yes, so we do um, hire the best performers in Las Vegas. We have the best Brazilian samba dancers, Brazilian stilt workers, aerial performers, uh, Brazilian DJ, with the, so they can play traditional Brazilian music, samba, um, so we can have the best experience over here. So just so you know, uh, we're also going to have a Brazilian dishes, like feijoada, like chicken stroganoff, um, like pau de queijo. So anybody who is hungry for Brazilian food, please come over here and enjoy us. Uh, just so you know, one more thing. In the salad appetizer bar is going to be served. Um, so it's 40 hot and cold appetizers, all you can eat, 19.99, and there is uh, six hot dishes and uh, 34 cold dishes, all you can eat, okay? okay? And then, of course, if someone wants to just do it, all you can eat. The all you can eat dinner is 54.99, all you can eat, Rodigio style, and the show is free. We don't charge for anything. We just want everybody to enjoy Brazilian culture. We are so proud that we can host this event already 13 years in a row. We also hosted events like Brazilian festivals already for over 4,000 people. Um, so we are very happy. We, have, we know a lot of performers over here throughout the years, and we have the best um, experience uh, with them, to be honest with you. Well, uh, it sounds like a great time. Awesome. Uh, I can't wait. And um, uh, we'll, we'll definitely let our listeners know, uh, you know to get out there and have some fun. Via Brazil Steakhouse, Friday night. What time does it start? 
5 p.m. to 10 p.m. All right. There you guys have it. Via Brazil Steakhouse, 5 to 10 p.m. on Friday night. It is the Brazilian Carnival Festival. All you can eat for 54 bucks. Come on. Uh, it doesn't get any better. You guys, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. We look forward to talking to you down the road again. Thank you very much, you guys. It was our pleasure. Thank you. You got it. All right, guys, you heard it. Via Brazilian, uh, via Brazil Steakhouse uh, here in Las Vegas. Uh, it's a Brazilian festival, um, the carnival. You've heard it. You've seen it on TV. Uh, well, they're going to repu- replicate that on Friday night uh, over at that steakhouse, and it's going to be a lot of fun and obviously some great food. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Tuesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. We're talking draft. We're talking free agency. Um, interesting, the order of things, and I think it works better these days uh, with free agency happening before the draft. You can kind of... Uh, put yourself in a better position to go into the draft, not as necessarily desperate as maybe you were if you were doing the draft first and then free agency uh, next. You have a pretty good idea um, after free agency of what you really need. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean that you, you feel like you solve all your problems in free agency, but um, you can certainly close some immediate holes in free agency, or at least think you can, so that you can go uh, into the draft with more of a long-range kind of a a plan. You know, we always talk about drafting the best player available. Well, that's ideally that's what you're trying to do. Um, So, uh, you know, um, obviously that's that's what you're trying to do and what you hope to do. But, um, you know, it doesn't always work that way. So you, you know, have to just work it and rework it and and hope that, um, you know, you get as many holes filled in free agency uh, and then come the draft, be able to draft more long range. But there's no doubt that even though people talk about drafting best player available, just look at the Raiders drafts the last couple of years. Um, you know, they had to reach for a wide receiver and offensive tackle last year, cornerback the year before. And it put them in some positions where they, you know, didn't make uh, the, the, the best use of those draft picks uh, as a result. So, um, I think people tried their hardest and did their best. It didn't always work out. Uh, it worked out in some cases, especially um, later on in the draft, uh, in, in later rounds. Uh, but, you know, um, new regime, new set of eyes, new way of looking at things. Um, and so the hope is that it's going to be a little bit more of an efficient process. Damon, what are you expecting to see from this new regime? that they're going to be a little bit smarter about the players that they bring in. I don't think you'll see some of those reaches, let's say a Damon Arnett type, where it's just, hey, man, I know Oracle Farrell, where it's just the reach where everyone's thinking, why would you do that? Oh, no, we we just believe. Just trust us on this. I think it'll be more consensus. Like those first-round picks, those early picks aren't going to be reaches. Or even the free agencies or the free agents that they bring in aren't going to be guys, oh, if they, if if it works out, if it pans out. You're not, there's not going to be as many head scratchers, is what yes. you're saying. Okay, but keep in mind that the Patriots have made some draft picks where you're like, that was kind of out of the blue. But in their defense, a lot of those work out. So I still think you're going to probably see some like, oh, that kind of came out of um, 
you know, uh, not necessarily left field, but you didn't see it coming type things. They've done that where they've let guys walk or they've traded people a year ahead of schedule or two years ahead of schedule, um, trying to kind of stay ahead of the posse a little bit or stay ahead of the process. Um, so, you know, there will be a little bit of that, but I think the thought process and I think the, um, you'll see the common sense in it a little, maybe a little bit more. Uh, I don't know why, you know, some of those decisions were made, um, you know, falling in love with guys. Maybe there wasn't a, a strong enough co um, consensus within the building on, on you know, uh, certain ways to go, certain people to draft. And as a result, there were reaches that were made. But I'm, I'm with you. I don't think you're going to see that as much. Certainly not back to back to back. Because from, you know, the Clee Farrell draft pick to uh, Damon Arnett to um, – Alex Leatherwood, it just felt like it was a trend, not a trend, but like a habit of, of doing that. I think that's probably what frustrated fans uh, the most. You're trying to be too outside of the box. Yeah. You know, like the gotcha, the one up, you. we see the diamond in the rough that no one else is seeing. Sometimes that the consensus pick, it's not wrong to take him. Right. Everyone, like someone like, oh, he's a solid first rounder. We'll just take the solid first rounder. I know every team's board is different. Or we didn't have that guy rated as a first rounder and another team did. But there are, I feel like, those players that are just, oh, yeah, he's a mid to late first rounder that everyone could generally probably agree <laughs> right. on. And just take that guy. Yeah. And, you know, you look back on it and, you know, the, the one for me was Damon Arnett. That was just so kind of like, you know, and there were there were really good players available at that position um, that they that they could have turned to, but you know, Mike Mayock and and John Gruden made the decisions that they made, and um, that's basically the bottom line. And there's no undoing it, uh, but it'll be interesting. That's why I'm so fascinated to see how this offseason plays out to see what they how this regime handles things, how they uh, uh, pursue free agency and the draft. Um, and that makes for a fascinating, our jobs a lot more fascinating uh, and interesting because you kind of got a sense of what was going on in the previous regime. And now it's an entirely different um, power structure from an organization that did things a little bit differently in the Patriots, obviously a winning tradition that they set and a uh, level of uh, efficiency and success uh, that they've built. And the hope, of course, is that they bring that here with them to Las Vegas. And uh, I think we're going to get an uh, early glimpse as, as some of these decisions start getting made of, of how they plan to do things. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Raider T is on the line. Hey, guys. Um, hey, I just want to follow up on what you were talking about earlier with your guests, you know, the draft. Um, and I, I really think they're going to try and fill that right tackle spot in free agency. Hopefully um, uh, Moses, um, who's available at right tackle, so they don't have to draft one. Because the guy you mentioned, I've uh, read some mock drafts, and he's a pretty impressive guy. But from everything I see, he's going to be gone. By, by the time it's our turn to pick, he should be gone. He might be in the top 15 or so. Um, I really think what they're going to do is try and um, fill that hole at right tackle and then also pick up a free agent, um, a guard, whether it's Kappa, um, Karras, um, Norwell from, I think he's in Carolina, somebody like that. And then if they can't get Moses to play right tackle, then if they get the guard, then they can bring Denzel Good to play right tackle. He did a really nice job the year before at right tackle. So I think that's what they do so they don't have to draft one. And on defense – if they're going to be switching to a lot of 3-4, I think they're going to have to go defensive tackle in the first round. 
The kid out of Georgia, it looks like he may be available for us, the big 330, 40-pound guy. Um, I think his name's Davis. It's pretty solid in the middle. I think they go with somebody like that. Or because your uh, guest was talking about all that passing in the AFC West, if they can get the best cornerback available, I think they do that and then pick up a defensive tackle in the second round or vice versa, something like that. But a name to keep a uh, uh, lookout for you on the, on the mock draft, look in the third or fourth round. There's a kid named Sky Moore that's built like Tyreek Hill, about the same height, about the same build, and runs the low four threes. And uh, because of his size, it sounds like he's mainly a slot guy, but the Patriots use a lot of two-slot receiver formations, just like they use a lot of two tight end formations. So don't be surprised if they have somebody like that to blow blow the top off defenses. So Sky Moore, is I think at like a Division two school, some school I never heard no, of. No, Western. But, I think uh, Western Western Michigan. I, th- I think is it Western it, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. keep an eye for that guy because they're saying he's probably not going to go high because of his size. He's a short guy. Um, so yeah, he's like five eleven. Yeah, that's my sleeper for the Raiders in terms of the draft. That's what I think they're going to try and sneak in the third, maybe early fourth round, something like that. What do you think? Yeah, I think he probably goes second, third, um, at least from what what I've been uh, checking out. Um, But you never know. Uh, There's a long way to go uh, in the draft process starting next week uh, at the scouting combine. Uh, And then obviously your pro days and things like that to get it all sorted out. But uh, he can you know, uh, rise or fall uh, one way or another, depending on how he performs. So um, we'll see. But that's a name that I've absolutely uh, taken a look at. And you're right. Uh, the way the Patriots do things and the way they utilize their wide receivers and align them uh, and in the various formations, um, you know, uh, that's going to dictate, too, where they draft, uh, what they're looking for, the skill sets that they're looking for. And it's just going to be a little bit different than what we're accustomed to. Um, and you just have to uh, kind of roll with it, um, especially in these early stages. But I think um, there's some grace period here. Uh, for this new regime because they come with a track record of success. And so I think there's going to be, all right, you know, um, they've done it before. There's no reason why it can't work uh, here in Las Vegas. And I think with the with the players that are in place uh, and the quarterback that's in place and the foundation that's already been uh, established, I don't see that it's going to take all that long. Uh, it's just hitting some you know, uh, hard line drives and a couple of home runs uh, over these next few months to really help solidify this roster. Um, and I'm just beyond fascinated to see uh, how it all plays out. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Tuesday. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. What up, what up, what up, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. It is a Tuesday. You're live in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. You know, we're probably going to have to try to get Lincoln uh, on the show uh, one day this week. By the way, Lincoln, during the offseason, takes a little bit of time uh, off and well-deserved, but he'll be back at it before you know it. Would love to get his thoughts on the new offensive line coach. Would love to get his thoughts on... What he thinks needs to happen with Alex Leatherwood, if I remember correctly, Lincoln was of the mindset to keep Alex at right guard, uh, but maybe his stance has changed since then. It really, whatever they do with Alex Leatherwood, 
kind of sets the tone for what they're going to do with that offensive line. And, you know, there could be, I think Andre James stays. Uh, I know I saw uh, somewhere where, you know, is he a possibility uh, to, to shave some money off the, uh, off the salary cap? Um, you know, do you, do you get rid of Andre? I think Andre James was enough of an ascending player last year that um, I think I think I think the Raiders should be okay with him um, at center, you know, returning as the starting center and just building off what he built last year. Because if you look at his second half of the season, uh, aside from you know maybe a blip on the screen here or there, he played really good football, and that's something that I think the Raiders can count on moving forward. Um, but John Simpson at left guard. Who's going to play right guard? Is it going to be Alex Leatherwood? Do you move Alex Leatherwood to left guard? That's I believe that was the position he played in college uh, at Alabama. He started a year at left guard and then moved over to left tackle. So maybe that's his best uh, position. I'd love to be in the Raiders film room right now uh, as this new staff. And I, I drove past the facility yesterday. And every coach's parking spot uh, was taken (laughs) with a car. So they're in there working right now, probably around the clock, trying to get this figured out. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in a good friend of the show, a good friend of mine, my colleague over at the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Sam Gordon. Sam, um, we're talking about the offensive line. We're talking about what to do with Alex Leatherwood. Uh, We don't know what they're thinking. Uh, And when we say they, um, mainly it's Josh McDaniels uh, and his offensive staff, uh, what to do and where to keep or move uh, back Alex Leatherwood, because I think a lot of that's going to determine what they do on the offensive line. Where do you stand, Sam Gordon, on on what may or may not happen with uh, young Alex Leatherwood? Yeah, Benny, first and foremost, thanks for having me. But I think when it comes to Leatherwood, right, the new staff is obviously going to come in and do their evaluation of him. But, um, you know, I think kind of given what we saw from the end of last year, there was obviously he had his struggles at, at tackle, um, and at guard, uh, but I thought towards the end of the season that unit performed um, at its best when he was playing uh, at right guard. I think they were able to find something there towards the last, towards the stretch, down the stretch of the season, where they were able to, to get some, get something going on the ground. Josh Jacobs was obviously a huge part uh, of the victories down the stretch at the end of the season, and, and given that there was a little bit of positive momentum building on the offensive line with having him at right guard. Um, why not keep him there and see if you can develop him there? Of course, you have to be a right tackle, and, and if you have to move him away from that position, then, yeah, maybe that's a little bit of a disappointment. But, look, at the end of the day, their offensive line is comprised of five guys, and if you have a guy that's a really good right guard, if, if Alex Leatherwood can become and develop into a reliable right guard, then that's super important. It's a super important part of your offensive line, um, and, and I think just kind of with where he's at, um, it would make sense to keep him, here, keep him there. Now, of course – as you know, Vinny, maybe the offensive evaluations come in and they say, look, we think there's upside for him at tackle. Maybe the new offensive line coach with new schemes, whatever, can unlock what the, the rate of the previous regime thought they would see when he was an All-American at Alabama. Um, but uh, to your point, um, if, 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 if they find a position for him where he's comfortable, where he's effective, where he, where he can continue to develop, then you can build out your offensive line accordingly. Being that he was a first-round pick in 2021, there's still far too much time left for him to develop, and it's way too early to give up on, on the player he could eventually become. So I think it's about finding a spot where they think he can be most efficient. To me, that seems like guard, even though, again, he struggled there, and then adjust accordingly if you have to. Yeah, and, you know, um, 
we keep forgetting that Denzel Good uh, is also still in the picture. You know, he was lost uh, yeah. first half of the first game of the season. Uh, it seems like you know forever ago. Uh, but but that injury really you know uh, caused an untangling of that offensive line because the Raiders were counting on him sort of being that stabilizing force. Uh, between Alex Leatherwood at right tackle and um, Andre James, the young center, but when but when um, Denzel went down, you know that caused a huge hole or created a huge hole at right guard, which they ended up having to fill by moving Alex Leatherwood to to, to right guard, and then Brandon Parker, a veteran uh, who had known the system, over at right tackle. But you know, if 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 Denzel is good to go, maybe he's part of the picture again. Yeah, maybe, and, and we because, like you said, he went down right away in week one. He he was he he did have a strong 2020 season. I thought, all things considered, given the issues they had on the offensive line that year, with showcasing his versatility, stepping in in different roles, and eventually settling in and solidifying himself as a reliable part of that offensive line. He, he, when you lose a veteran like that, that you were kind of banking on helping uh, accelerate the learning curve. For some of these young players, and just somebody like you said, that knows what they're doing, that's been there, done that. Um, that's tough. The, the Raiders certainly didn't plan on losing. I mean, nobody plans for injuries, but you lose your a veteran like that, one of a, a, only a couple veterans on a really, really young unit that early in the season. There are going to be repercussions. So it was kind of trial by fire from some of those young guys. If Denzel Good comes back, he's at a, you know he's at a hundred percent, and there's some 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 financial flexibility where they can they can figure something out there then, yeah, I, th- I think he, based on what he showed in 2020, he definitely deserves to be um, considered to be part of the equation. Regardless of if it's Denzel Good or not, I would definitely expect the Raiders to look at some, some veteran os- options on the offensive line, being that that's a position that you already are young at, um, whether that's to create competition, whether that's to, to fill in, whether that's to step right in and, and be a day-one starter. Who knows? We're going to see what plan in place this regime has. But uh, Denzel Good, I mean, he's still relatively young uh, for an offensive lineman. I still think if he gets back up to 100%, he could have a couple productive years left and be a part of uh, an offensive line that he was supposed to, you know, like you said, like you alluded to, but he kind of helped anchor um, last season with his experience. Not having him was huge. It's important one way or the other that the Raiders grow up on that offensive line with some veterans, whether that's good or somebody else. We're talking to Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, our good friend and my colleague uh, over uh, at the Review-Journal. You can download our app, Vegas Nation, or go to VegasNation.com. Uh, to get all of our Raider coverage, and we got you covered A to Z, uh, including next week when we're over at the uh, Scouting Combine in Indianapolis, uh, doing shows from there, uh, and then also you know daily reports uh, for, uh, from the Scouting Combine in Indianapolis. Um, it's been a while, Sam Gordon, since we've had a Scouting Combine. Um, we're starting yeah. to get back uh, to normal, thankfully. Um, is there anybody in particular? Uh, that you're looking to see, you know, uh, next week uh, in Indianapolis, the quarterbacks, wide receivers. Is there a position that you're that you're looking at, and who do you feel, um, you know, uh, needs to make a, a, a strong case for themselves next week? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the quarterbacks. Right? I mean, it's it's a quarterback class that has been touted or heralded as you know a weaker class, right? And it's when you come off the class that we just saw, where there's so many top prospects and guys that are going um, at the top of the draft. Uh, it, it, yeah, maybe in contrast to that, it, it seems like it's it's you know it's not as good. But I still think there are there are good quarterbacks available. You don't we don't know how a guy's skills are going to translate to the NFL or not. But I think when you take a look, you know Kenny Pickett, uh, Desmond Ritter, Matt Coral, Malik Willis. There's some guys um, there that are intriguing. I'm also intrigued as particular particularly as it um, pertains to the Raiders 
about the receivers. Uh, is there a receiver that they want to uh, that they want to target? That, that somebody that they might be interested in there? I, of course, I think Drake London, the the kid out of USC, is probably going to be gone um, by that time. But there are other interesting prospects. Chris Olave from Ohio State, I thought had a really good career there. Um, a record-setting kind of career. Garrett Wilson, his counterpart, Jamison Williams, is really good. So there are options on the perimeter. Now, maybe that's a route that the Raiders want to address in free agency. There are certainly a uh, plenty of top free agent wide receiver options available, starting, of course, with Devontae Adams, depending on what the Packers elect to do with him. Um, but uh, if, if they franchise him and he's off the market, I would expect the Raiders to at least consider or do their due diligence on, on receiver in a draft because, Vinny, as we know, when Henry Ruggs departed, uh, they never really quite found that they re- never really quite filled that void that he left on the perimeter with his speed and his game-breaking ability. I'm not saying you necessarily need a break the bank, deep threat kind of receiver, but somebody that can help balance out what you want to do offensively, opposite Darren Waller uh, and Hunter Renfro in the slot. So those are the two position um, groups that I'm looking at. Um, the quarterbacks, just because of what the narrative is, I want to see if somebody can change that and somebody separate themselves as the top prospect and then receivers as it pertains to the Raiders. But I know the combine. I mean, we've been watching the combine for a super long time. It's been weird not having it and not really, you know, it's, it just feels like it's part of the football kind of the, the way it goes, the football calendar. Not having it the past couple of years you know, definitely felt a little weird. But the fact that we're getting back to um, having a combine and that it looks like all the issues that some of the agents had have been worked out. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. And it's awesome that you're going to get to be there and get a first look at some of the players that the Raiders uh, may be targeting. I think, you know, we tend to kind of evaluate the draft class before any of these things happen. We don't, we won't truly know until quite some time down the line. But it's super exciting for all the young players, of course, and exciting for uh, the Raiders' new regime getting to really shape this roster as they see fit starting um, at the Combine in a couple weeks. Here's a name that uh, I'll throw it at you. Um, Justin Ross from uh, Clemson. Obviously started his career just with a bang um, and was definitely on his way. And then injuries interrupted uh, his progress, uh, including this year with the, with the foot injury. Um, but I don't think – I think the his best f- football is still ahead of him if he can get – uh, those injuries behind him for good. Um, what do you think about Justin Ross and about the maybe the possibility of you know a late round, not a late round, but a mid round or second third round value uh, that you might be getting a first round player? Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you, Vinny. I mean, in 2018, he had the 1,000 yards and the nine touchdowns as a freshman, and then follows that up pretty impressively the following year with 865 yards and eight touchdowns. Of course, you mentioned the injuries. We, we, we're going to have to see how he looks physically. And whatnot, but when he came to Clemson, he was immediately one of the best, the best receivers uh, in the country. Let's let's call it what it is—a crucial part of a national championship team, right? And he, he's six four, two hundred five pounds. He has speed. He, he's a, he's a complete receiver in theory at the next level if his health um, can hold up. So when you have, when you take a look at a guy with his measurables and his pedigree, I, I don't think I mean if he tests well and, and there aren't any injury concerns, it, it would, if it would have seemed that it was healthy. Um, then, then he's a guy where you've seen enough. I mean, what he was able to do uh, day one at a big-time program on, a, on big stages week in and week out with a team that had expectations, a lot of expectations, and, of course, went on to win a national championship. That can't go discounted. I, I'm with you if he's available. Um, he's a guy that you, you see all the time, second, third-round picks, uh, receivers that evolve into really, really good players um, on the perimeter, sometimes even number one options. Think D.K. Metcalf, A.J. Brown, those guys were second-round picks some of the best receivers in the league now. So he's a guy that, you're, you're right, super intriguing. I think people kind of forgot about him a little bit because of some of the health concerns. And even in general, Clemson was a total mess 
this past year, you know, post um, post Trevor Lawrence. Total, total mess. So I'm not counting this year against him so long as he's healthy. Um, he's shown, he's proven on big stages that he could be a big-time receiver. And I, yeah, I think he's somebody that definitely warrants day two consideration. Yeah, and when you think about somebody like that, you almost have to go back to his 2019 tape because he missed all of 2020 with an injury. And then when he came back last year, as you just mentioned, post-Trevor Lawrence, that quarterback um, situation was a little bit murky for Clemson. They just weren't getting the same level of play that they were getting from Trevor Lawrence. And so it's hard to – and even at that, um, Ross was still a leading wide receiver for Clemson before he went down with the injury. But it, it certainly didn't look the same because the quarterback wasn't the same. And if you go back to 2019, you know, this is an electrifying player. Yeah, it certainly was. And even this past year, I think you saw some of what he can do. The stats – are a little bit deceptive, 46 receptions, 514 yards, and three touchdowns. But he has ball skills. He's 6'4". He's rangy. He can do things in the red zone. And he's still a young player, right? Like, you context matters. And when you're not in a perfect situation the way he was earlier in his career, your production is going to dip. There are going to be extraneous factors. If he can get into a situation, whether that's with the Raiders or whether that's somewhere else, where he's on the same page, where everybody's on the same page and understands that that there's going to be a plan for his development and getting him into the player um, that he was at one point early in his career, then I think you may have a steal. Um, so it all kind of depends on how we test. But, yeah, I'm with you. I think even um, he, 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 there's, he, he checks all the boxes from a physical standpoint. He's got enough speed. He can go up there and make plays, and he's 6'4". And, and the more length you can have um, on the roster, the better. The, Ra- the Raiders have Brian Edwards, and, and he is a kind of a big playmaker. But they don't have a lot. They don't have somebody quite that size, quite that frame. And, and he's out, you always want as many big playmakers as possible, so long as they fit in your system. And I think that it would make sense to, to certainly do your due diligence on somebody like Justin Ross as the combine approaches. Yeah, no doubt about it. Last question for you, Sam, on the defensive side of the ball. I've been going back and forth on what the Raiders need most, um, and you know, some 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 good points have been made schematically we really don't know what they're going to do defensively and if you look but if you look at Patrick Graham's kind of track record uh, these last couple of years what he's done in the most immediate um you know uh, past a lot of too high safety looks uh, not what the Raiders were doing uh, last year certainly um it could if if that's the the direction that he takes it's going to it's going to mean making some changes um from a from a starting uh, position standpoint, because you know you look at that two safety uh, two high safety system, I'm not sure that fits Jonathan Abram what he does. Uh, so a lot of decisions need to be made. So if it's it, whether it's defensive line, uh, cornerback, safety, uh, where the biggest needs are for that side of the ball, a lot of it is predicated on what they're going to do schematically, right? Yeah, I would think so. And, and even, you know, regardless of the scheme, right, I think when you take just a look at the personnel on the roster, um, defensive back one way or the other, whether it's cornerback, whether that's safety, I think makes the most sense. I, there might be some schematic changes up front that changes what you're, what you're doing in terms of how you're rushing the passer, but I think the, 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 the Raiders proved towards the end of the season that defensive line or getting a pass rush isn't going to be a problem for them. Unique Nagakwe is still under contract. Max Crosby, you figure there's going to be an extension done with him at some point this offseason, and he's still on his rookie deal anyway. So you're good with those guys um, uh, up front. I think that I think at linebacker, too, Divine Diablo uh, showed enough where there's some potential. Denzel Perryman, of course, was a pro bowler. So, yeah, you always want depth at every position, but uh, defensive in the defensive backfield, there are questions. Like you said, is a too-high safety scheme, does that play in Jonathan Abrams' strengths? No, it certainly doesn't. He's much better, of course, around the line of scrimmage. And then corner – 
Um, Casey Hayward Jr. I mean, he's on a, on a one-year deal last year. It was awesome. Is he going to come back? He came to play for Gus Bradley. There's familiar, familiarity there. Of course, Gus Bradley is gone. And, and, again, you could never have too much depth at corner. So maybe you need another starting corner. That's the direction you go. Maybe you need a starting safety. That's the direction you go. Bottom line is, for the first time in a long time on the defensive side of the ball, it really feels like there aren't gaping holes at, at, at all three levels. There, there was, they were on to something defensively. Uh, last year with Gus Bradley and the expectation, of course, is that Patrick Graham is going to take that thing to the next level. There are good, there are good players on all three levels, and now it's kind of about fine-tuning uh, around the edges, plugging in a couple starters, maybe a starter or two or three, and then going from there. So I, I think defensive back, if you are addressing defense early, is the way to go. But, of course, we'll see what, uh, what the new brain trust thinks. They have a lot of time to, uh, to make these decisions and to do the evaluations, and that's what the combine is for, and, and, and he'll be there next week. So we're – we're definitely excited to see what, what comes from that and, and to see what the direction the Raiders want to go. Absolutely, although not as much time as we might think. It happens really <laughs> fast, and it's happening uh, really fast. Sam Gordon, thanks so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. You know I always truly appreciate it, as do our listeners. Uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Take care, my friend. All right, sounds good. Vinny, anytime. Have a great rest of your day. You too. That was Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal uh, shedding some light and insight on uh, what he thinks might happen uh, with the Raiders. But we're all kind of sitting back right now, not quite sure what to expect. Um, it's just a different world right now uh, with the Raiders. Uh, two new leaders, uh, head coach jo- uh, Josh McDaniels and obviously Dave Ziegler, the general manager, uh, come with a track record of success from New England. There's no reason uh, not to think that that can't um, you know, follow them here to Las Vegas. But how they go about doing it is so interesting and so fascinating. I can't wait to get to Indianapolis next week uh, to, to start talking about not just getting the job and what you did in the past, but What's your vision right now for the Raiders after having another, what, about a month and a half or so since being hired, or a month at least, to really dive into what the Raiders did last year, the roster, um, their player evaluations, what their plans are for certain players. Uh, it's getting hot and heavy, and I can't wait to hear what their thoughts uh, next week. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Tuesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Got a text uh, with Carr being silent on everything makes you start to wonder what is happening behind the curtain. If this is if this Patriot influx uh, keeps going. I think I will be sick. That's NC Raider for life. Uh, I wouldn't be so sure on Derek Carr being all quiet and everything like that. Um, I think he's happy <laughs> with the uh, with the way things have turned out. Not so much losing Rich Bisaccia or anything like that, but if they were going to move on from you know Coach Bisaccia, who obviously everybody uh, loved and adored and respected, um, the question was going to be, okay, well, who is it going to be? Who's the replacement going to be? And um, just the vibe that I get is that Derek Carr is super excited uh, about working with Josh McDaniels and the staff. And why wouldn't he? I mean, Josh McDaniels um, has a strong track record in New England. I know it's obviously it was as the offensive coordinator. um, And now he's making that jump back to head coach uh, by all accounts in terms of how he described what happened in Denver and what people around him have described about his changes that he's made since that experience. It's 12 years ago. 
he's 40, what, five, 43, 45 years old at this point. Um, life goes on, you evolve, you get better. That's the whole goal for everybody. Um, and so now he's becoming the head coach, but from an offensive standpoint, if you're Derek Carr or any quarterback, you know, this guy has a great track record of putting you in good positions to succeed. And so for those reasons, I don't, I wouldn't, you know, get too carried away, uh, on Derek Carr, not saying anything. He, he usually goes pretty much an entire off season without really saying much. He'll kind of pop up here and there. Um, but that doesn't mean, you know, you're not getting a pretty good idea of, of, of where he is. Um, I'll just say it that way. And by the way, he does have a uh, – there's an event coming up uh, Friday uh, in Las Vegas that I'll be at um, where he's promoting, um, you know, a, uh, a, a, a church deal that, that he's putting together and is a part of. But there's a press conference on Friday, and we'll get a chance to, uh, to talk to Derek for the first time since all the changes – uh, have happened, and uh, I'm sure there'll be some allowances made for some questions, some football questions, uh, when we do talk to him on Friday. And I'm curious to find out, you know, what he's going to say. I, 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 I have a strong feeling and a strong vibe uh, that he is excited about the opportunity. I know that he wants to stay here um, and be the long-range quarterback of the of the Las Vegas Raiders. He said as much, and uh, I would take that word um, as gospel. Now. I, I never believed that if he were to get traded or something or his contract was to expire, that he was just going to up and leave. I, I think he's just too much of a competitor to do that. Uh, but right now, by all indications, um, he's, he wants to be here and is excited about working uh, with the new regime. And this could be a great thing uh, for, for Derek Carr. And I think the way it turns into a great thing this is what I. This is the stance that I've had all along. Put a good team around Derek Carr, and good things are going to happen. We've seen that enough. We've seen that enough times when the Raiders were cooking, and the Raiders had their full complement of players. Even earlier this year, he was playing at an MVP caliber. There were people talking about him along those lines, and it wasn't by uh, like like it wasn't outlandish. He was putting up great numbers. This offense was putting up good numbers. But then some wheels fell off, and everybody, if that when that happens to any quarterback, look what happened to Matthew Stafford in the Super Bowl when Odell went down. It's going to change things. Put a good team around Derek Carr, good things will happen, and I truly believe that, and I think that's the plan here in Las Vegas. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. I want to say thank you to all our guests. I want to say thanks to all of our listeners. I want to say thanks to all of our callers. You always bring it. Thanks to Devon Cotton, our great uh, producer, for everything that he does. We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Tuesday. We'll see you tomorrow.